Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of the mayor from Jaws to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the wrong tool fallacy, also known as the methodological fallacy. Yeah, so this week we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, you may not have heard of the wrong tool fallacy. Yeah. Um, even if you really know a lot about fallacies, you may not have heard of the wrong tool fallacy. And there's a reason for that. We've talked a bit on previous episodes about the difference between formal and informal fallacies. And, and mostly the difference is that formal fallacies are all about the form that the argument takes and that the form itself creates a, a logical problem. But also those fallacies tend to have been uh, categorized and given names a long time ago by people like Aristotle. Mm-hmm. And informal fallacies are more about the context of, of what's said, um, and they tend to be named more recently. Some some are older, and some are just where someone has noticed a collection of, of illogical or invalid arguments that seems to come up again and again and given it a name. Mm-hmm. And this is one that I've given a name because... <laughs> Because anyone can really. Um, these are there's a collection that, yeah. that we found that really don't quite fit in to other um, named fallacies, but all share similar kind of criteria. So we called yeah. it the wrong tool fallacy, and it's because this is when people use the wrong tool or the wrong method to provide evidence for their argument, something yeah. that doesn't actually yeah. measure what they say it measures, or doesn't measure it in the the correct way. Um, So for our first example, we've got Trump talking about the stock market. We have the strongest stock market in the history of our country. Uh, By the way, just in walking in, we just set a new record, just went up today. We had a new record was set. The Dow Jones went over 27,000 for the first time ever. It went over 26,000 for the first time ever and 25,000 for the first time ever. So. We've said it. I think we're over 100 since election. We're over 100 times that we've set a new stock market record. And to me, that's not just a record. That means jobs. Now, he's not talking about the Dow quite as much at the moment because it's not doing quite so well. Weirdly, but um, yeah. it is yeah. a measure that he has used to say how well the country is doing, how well the economy is doing is the Dow Jones. Yeah. And one of the things about this fallacy is a bit like Gish Gallup, this is one that mm-hmm. requires you to know something in order to be able to debunk it. And it either requires you to put in right. some research or already be an expert in that area. And a lot of people, the Dow is seen as a, a kind of measure of how the economy is doing. And, and that seems okay because it's part of the stock market and, and people don't really think about what it is. But what the mm-hmm. Dow Jones Industrial Average is is just a measure of how well 30 specific companies are doing. And those companies yeah. are picked by a group of people, by it used to be the editors of the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if it's still them who choose them. But the companies 
aren't necessarily the biggest or most important companies. Amazon isn't on there. Google isn't on there. Um, they are just 30 companies that represent a spread of different verticals, essentially different different organizations that are kind of big and well-respected. And the thing about the DAO yeah. is that it is it is designed to continually rise because if a company yeah. that's on the Dow Jones Index gets into trouble in some way, if they have big corporate changes, if they start to stumble, if their industry starts to fail, they get kicked off and another company is chosen. So it, it's only ah, four companies right. that are doing well and continue to do well. Yeah. So by removing companies that aren't doing well and choosing a different company to replace them, that means it isn't really a very good indication of how the economy as a whole is doing because you're not getting that downfall when companies start to fail. As soon as you start to measure something with a tool and people know that you're doing that, they begin begin gaming that tool so it it becomes a bit distorted and it stops being a true measure of the thing and it uh, and it may well be the same for the stock market in that you know, not only do they replace it with, so the Dow Jones itself is gamed yeah. by the people that compile the yeah, Dow Jones. Yeah, arguably by being always... on that on that industrial average, those um, companies are seen by people who follow the stock market to some to some extent as more um, safe bets, stable companies. You know, yeah. so yes, it probably strengthens those companies just by being on there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you get that observer bias. It becomes well. kind of like bark. It makes me think of Bach's endlessly rising mm. cannon. That the uh, you know, the piece of music appears to just be going up and up and up. And actually, what it's what's happening is it's something that's coming in at the bottom, replacing something that's reached the limit of its uh, ability to go up, and that just kind of drops out. And then another bit of the cannon comes back in again at the bottom and boosts it back up again so it appears to sound as though it's continually rising but yeah. it isn't it's just bits are being replaced so for trump to say and what that means to me is are that they are jobs it's it's not the right tool you should be measuring surely the employment index or if there is yeah. such a thing so you know the, the number of people who are in employment yeah. Absolutely. And when you look at that, um, what you see is that, yes, there is very low unemployment at the moment. So that is a good indication that things are going well. But the number of jobs that have been created over the past, say, three years uh, under Trump uh, is lower than the number of jobs that were created under Obama's previous three years. So the the last three years of under Obama. Right. So that doesn't look as good for him. He, you know, he can say there are records. No, he can say unemployment is its at is is at its lowest, um, but it's yeah. it's not about job creation. It's because there was a trend already happening, and and that kind of plateaus over time. And yeah, so he's using it as a he's using the wrong tool to measure the buoyancy, the quality of the current economy. Mm. And in doing so, what it does is lead lends some credence to what he's saying. It's as though he's kind of. Uh, picking a measure that not many people understand, but he's picking a measure that sounds like it measures business um, and then pointing to it. And then you he's, again, as he's done before, done all the work for you. You haven't then got to query that. You just think, oh, right, well, he's using this 
as the yardstick yep. and that's a biz- business yardstick. He knows business and therefore we're not going to uh, look into Absolutely. that any more deeply. And there's, and there's other measures that um, you can use um, for almost exactly what he's trying to say, things like the S&P 500 right. uh, or the FTSE 100, yeah. um, the Financial Times Stock yep. Exchange uh, companies. They they come with a bit of a similar problem because those ones do tend to be the more the, the size of the company. Um, so as a company gets smaller, it drops off the bottom and another company comes in to replace it. So they still have the problem because there's, there's, they're bigger and they have more companies involved where the, the shares of those companies um, go up or down. It does give you an indication of potentially consumer confidence, at least, or, or investor confidence. Um, but yeah. the, the, Dow, the Dow being only 30 companies means it is strangely ineffective in in telling you the the temperature of the whole country yeah so it does sound like actually what it is is a guide for people investing in companies it's a you know these are good investments and here is the the stock market behavior of them yeah it's kind of an overview of that it's not really an indicator of how the general economy is going it might be an indicator of how the one percent of the economy are, are where they're putting their money but yes yeah. and it's and it's weighted in very specific way as well which i am not an economist so i don't really understand but something to do with the fact that these cuz some these companies even among the 30 they're wildly different sizes of company in terms of mm. although they're all big the you know some are multi billion dollar companies and some are only hundreds of millions so the size of the change in share value of a of a company that where the shares are worth a lot has potentially less of an impact than a similar change in a company where the shares are worth less. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's not just kind of if a sh- if the average share goes up $1, it's one point on the, on the Dow Jones. Mm. It's actually something more like seven and a half points for $1 change, but then it's weighted per company. So it's kind of complicated how they work it out. And it's not exactly, it's not a direct, um, comparison. It's not a linear comparison yeah. to how well the companies are doing to what happens to the Dow. It's more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and I would say, as as with this one, and uh, you know, as I say, I'm not an economist. I'm also not a scientist. And later on, there'll be some science stuff that I'm talking about. If any of our listeners are economists or scientists, and I've done said stuff wrong, feel free to yeah. to email us, please, and correct us, and and we'll kind of put, try and right try and put the record yeah. right. Um, but yeah, as I say, research is required to to know that these tools are wrong, and and so it's not always as easy as just was saying, well, that's not the right way to measure that. Sometimes, however, it is. <laughs> as with our yeah. second example from actually Trump adjacent, this is from Jared Kushner when he appeared on Fox News to discuss his Middle Eastern peace plan. Uh, if you look at the original proposal, the Arab Peace Initiative, that was an eight-line proposal. It was a good faith proposal. Past proposals have been two to three pages. This is an over 80-page proposal with a map, never been done before. With a map? The, yeah, the length of the proposal is not the right yeah. tool, not the right measurement <laughs> for whether your Middle Eastern peace plan is good or not. It's a good plan. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Just as, um, just as Tony Blair became the peace envoy for the Middle East from the UK after having successfully been in office when the Northern Ireland Peace Accord was signed, 
So that wasn't a good measurement <laughs> of making him the peace envoy. I love that. It was, it was an eight-line proposal, <laughs> and this one's over 80 pages. Yeah. And you go, well, you know, maybe some of that Big is font, bullshit. Big double-spaced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Executive summary. Yeah, and, and, and a map and, for, and a for map. people involved yeah. in the Middle East peace process who don't know what countries they're talking where, about or where they yeah. are, or how it's or how Palestine and Israel yeah, they've are never, currently divided. They've never yeah. had maps before in their no in their no. peace document. Those so. that they have had uh, Trump draw big <laughs> lines around the end of in order to prove a point. Yeah. So, so sometimes it can be a bit easier to spot. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if those eight lines were something like, why can't everybody just get on? <laughs> you know, it's, it's written out eight times in a kind of like, like the opening sequence of The Simpsons with <laughs> Bart writing eight lines. Yeah. We will not fight. But, yeah, we will, <laughs> we will not fight. We will not annex the entire landmass to the sea. Yeah. Yours sincerely, Israel. That's going to get us into trouble. Might have to edit that out. Yeah. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. Well, I'm going to go big this time because I'm purporting that the idea of democracy itself is the wrong tool. <laughs> so uh, Shots fired at or, democracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or at least... Um, describing something as democracy so they're using the wrong tool and kind of disguising it as democracy um so in particular it's about this particular thing that happened over here some time ago three years ago i committed to the british people that i would renegotiate our position in the european union and hold an in-out referendum now i'm delivering on that commitment you will decide and whatever your decision I will do my best to deliver it. On Monday, I will commence the process set out under our Referendum Act, and I will go to Parliament and propose that the British people decide our future in Europe through an in-out referendum on Thursday, the 23rd of June. The choice is in your hands, but my recommendation is clear. I believe that Britain will be safer, stronger, and better off in a reformed European Union. So I think the the problem is there are several wrong tools going on. One of them is a promise. I made this commitment when we were being re-elected. So this was so he, this was 2015, and he's talking about three years prior to that when they he was in power with the coalition government with the Liberal Democrats. Um, and then following that election uh, or following that term in office, they had a general election. He promised as part of that general election that they would hold an in-out referendum. So the 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 manipulating of the populace began way back then. Vote for us and you can have a referendum. And so he, and he's saying, well, I promised that. Uh, so I'm going to deliver that. He promised a million other things. Yeah. Didn't, wasn't very about few of which he didn't, didn't bother <laughs> about those no no so this kind of the the wrong tool of promising stuff is is one and then i was looking on um, a website called stackexchange.com and there's uh, questions about when is a democratic vote actually the wrong tool and the conclusion uh, or or the rather the the idea they put forward was that democracy works for decisions 
so democracy being this idea of a referendum um, rather than the other sense of democracy where we elect representatives to make decisions on our behalf. Um, and this, I think, is an, ex an example of where there's a clash between whether a referendum is the right tool or whether it should have been something that they just sorted out themselves. Um, so they're saying that democracy works for decisions where, A, everyone is equally informed, or at least there's no reasonable way to exclude the ill-informed, and everyone is equally affected by the outcome. Um, and the examples they give for bad um, situations to use a democratic decision, i.e. a referendum, um, is that not everyone is equally informed. Their example, which they say is the least contentious example that they could think of, voting on the value of the Planck constant, mm. you, you, you would kind of... Yeah, not everyone's informed about that, and I can't remember what it is. Um, <laughs> so that it's just to show that I'm not equally informed as somebody else who would know. So it would make no sense to vote on whether you think it's ten to the minus three. Yeah, a vote would be the wrong tool for seven miles for figuring yeah, that out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and the other one, which was not everyone is equally affected by the outcome. Uh, the example they they give is like two wolves and a sheep agreeing on what to have for dinner. Mm -hmm which I think is quite cool. And um, so fundamentally, the problem with Brexit, um, the the Cameron going to the people to say, let's have a referendum about this, was that it was a vote between a half-truth and a lie. So uh, everyone, it seemed to me, on both sides of the uh, in-out um, referendum were actively misinformed for political ends. So the people who were who suddenly got involved in leave um, or got involved in remain, we've stopped looking at why they were doing it and merely got caught up in the in this notion that we've got to do it. It's got to be a thing um, that we uh, exercise our right. And most of the commentators think that the vote went the way of leave as a reaction to what the government had been doing um, in terms of the austerity, the policies about austerity. So it was the wrong tool to elicit a response. And people used it as the wrong vehicle for expressing their dissatisfaction. And consequently, we've got what we've got. Um, yeah, and that's how you get, uh, you know, had enough of experts kind of conversations yes, where yes. It's, it's implying weirdly that experts are, are the wrong tool for deciding yeah. what you should do with this kind of monumental economic decision <laughs> that, yes, exactly. that affects so yeah. much of of our laws and our sovereignty and everything uh yeah. that, that listening to people who know what they're talking about is the wrong way to do it somehow uh, yeah so and speaking of experts our second my second example is a series of tweets from uh, so this is kind of Britpol adjacent to Aaron Banks, who is a British business, businessman and political donor. He's the co-founder of the Leave.UK campaign, and he was the largest donor to the UK Independence Party, UKIP, Nigel Farage there, and he helped Nigel Farage's campaign for Britain to leave the EU. So he's basically a, a, a Brexiteer. And... Um, 
He was during the run up to the referendum. No, post referendum. He was responding to a tweet from at James Ryder about immigration, implying that Rome was brought down by immigration. So James Ryder's tweet was, it'll be good to see Darwin's theory being vindicated. All civilizations come to an end. CF Rome actually says CIF Rome. Um, and then Aaron Banks uh, replies and retweets it with, true, the Roman Empire was effectively destroyed by immigration. And this is where um, the expert weighs in. Um, and what... And the ex- that expert is Mary Beard, the professor of classics at the University of Cambridge, fellow of Newnham College, Royal Academy of Arts professor of professor of ancient literature. So she's the real deal. Yeah, she's she knows what she's several about. books about <laughs> Rome, and um, so he kind of in in a moment he reaches for the wrong tool in order to contest the truth when asked about it by Mary Beard. She says. Um, Sorry, Mr. Banks, but this might be a subject on which to listen to experts. And Banks says, sorry, I didn't realise you had a single perfect vision of Roman history, (laughs) to which she replies, I'm not saying that, hence the use of the plural experts. And then Aaron Banks reaches for the tool of, well, the experts I read at school believed the sacking of Rome and the breakup was caused by a failure to control hordes on the border. (laughs) And... Then Mary Beard says, well, I wonder who those experts are. (laughs) And um, Aaron Banks goes on to say, well, the experts were um, my teachers, schoolboy history. I was taught by uh, my teacher who was from Cambridge. I don't know whether he lived (laughs) in Cambridge or studied at Cambridge. (laughs) And taught classics. And so he's reaching to try and uh, trump with a small t and with a big T, Mary Beard herself, he's trying to outsmart her, yeah. who my, is at Cambridge my, and does teach classics. Yeah, my thirty-year-old memory of my school days. Yeah. that what what exactly. my te- my high school teacher told me. Yeah, trumps yeah. you know current scholarly um, experts. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also what he, the other tool that he's trying to deploy. Uh, or employ is that every, everyone's opinion is valid and and equal, which kind of turned up a lot in the well. It turns up a lot in climate it's, um, it, conversations. Yes, yeah, in today's world, Brexit more and more post mm. post two thousand sixteen, uh, people not only think that their opinion is just as valid as everyone else's opinion, which you know to some extent you could make an argument for, but not a great argument. Um, but the, but now people think that their opinion is just as valid as facts, and that's just not yeah just yeah, not yeah. the case. No, no, so. that's yeah. There's there's the wrong tool being deployed <laughs> right there. Yeah. If I found a fallacy, be a fallacy in the morning. Fallacy in the evening, all over the while. The arguments are shaky, the logic is appalling. I point out the fault between the premise and conclusion. Oh, cause the fallacies are wild. Ooh, ooh, 
go, Trini Lopez there with uh, If I Had a Hammer, which I thought was an appropriate tool-based song. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, in the fallacy in the world, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And this week, our first example is from a tweet that was from a homeopath uh, called Brown Bag Pantry, or at least... um, that yeah at brown bag pantry her um kind of twitter name is homeopathy rocks skeptics not so much and <laughs> she tweeted a right. hashtag filled tweet uh about a uh, a study it's not really a study though it's it's two case reports so it's two people not a not a kind of proper scientific right. study and what the report is saying is that these are about uh, recurrent uh, urinary tract infections in women um, that have been mm-hmm. treated with homeopathy, and they have shown that the uh, homeopathy was responsible for curing these women, essentially, or, or treating oh. their, their UTI, right. using a thing yep. called modified Naranjo criteria. Right. And, that, and that's proved it. They, they had... Modified Naranjo criteria, total scores for each patient were 10 out of 13 and 9 out of 13, respectively. So there you go. Right. That shows homeopathy works. There you go. Um, what is the modified Naranjo criteria? Well, I was criteria? curious about that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I thought, oh, well, that's, you know, if that is a valid test that shows that, that yeah. the homeopathy is, is, was responsible for these women being cured, then fair enough. Homeopathy works. Water has memory. Um, turns out uh, that's not really what it's designed for in a way. The Naranjo criteria is, ah. is a, an actual scientific thing. And yep. what it's used for is testing whether adverse drug reactions, that, that's basically side effects, are due to a drug that someone has been given. So it's, it's right. not used to tell whether the, whether the drug has helped someone it's used to tell whether okay. the whether a side effect is due to the drug, um, and that's how scientists use it. That's how doctors use it. They yeah. don't use it to test whether um, a positive reaction or a cure is is due to that drug. But it's it's a bit worse than that because when right. they said it's a mod- modified Naranjo criteria, um, they yeah. they've really modified it a lot. Um, there is right. Okay, let me run through the the original Naranjo algorithm, which is based from a, a scientist called Naranjo, who came up with these things to, to to these questions to ask to see whether side effects were due to um, the drug that people were given. There's ten questions, and they include things like: Are there previous conclusive reports on this reaction? So, in other words, have other people had a similar reaction? Did the adverse event appear after the suspected drug was administered? In other words, if it if they already had the adverse reaction probably less likely yep. that it's due to the drug. Yep. Did it improve when the drug was discontinued? Did it reappear when the drug was readministered? Are there alternative causes that could have caused the reaction? Did the reaction reappear when a placebo was given? And things like that, basically. So they ask these yep. questions. They they do a kind of case study, and, and each one has a score that they add up, and that tells them how likely it is that the side effect is due to the drug that this person has been given. Yeah, There is a thing called the modified Naranjo algorithm, which is a slightly more uh, slightly more accurate and more practical version of that, which actually only has four questions, because they found that of the ten, six of them were less useful. 
for for classifying whether the reaction was due to the drug or not and four of them were kind of really determinative so they they cla- they clarified it and modified it to make it better but that's not what this person is talking about this person is talking about a specifically um homeopathy modified one where yeah. <laughs> where yeah. the questions that they ask they use the same scale they use the same kind of 10 well they don't use the same 10 questions they use 10 questions <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> and, right. But the questions they use include things like, did overall well-being improve? That's not on the original one. Um, did no. did the course of improvement follow Herring's rule? Now, Herring's rule is a thing in homeopathy where, which says that how your symptoms go away with homeopathy mm. will mirror the onset. So the ones that you got first will go away last. But they'll also right. work from the most vital organs to the least vital organs. So the the kind of if your heart is having trouble, that symptom will go away first. Um, and also from head down to feet. <laughs> so so if you're having headaches and like itchy feet, the headaches will go first we'll go and the first. itchy feet will go last. I, there's, I have found nowhere that explains how these three seemingly competing things work together. Because if you got your itchy feet first, then yeah. one of Herring's laws says that that should go first. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> that... And if you've got a heart, if you have a heart attack after you've got a itchy feet, yeah, surely that one ought to go because it's mainly or the itchy feet is because you're being electrocuted. Then that ought to go first. <laughs> so no, that's yeah. kind of vital to your existence, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, um, yeah, right. those are boy, they modified. They've that. really yeah. changed the questions. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. One of them is: Did the effect encompass more than the main symptom or condition? In other words, were there were other symptoms ultimately improved or changed? And that is given a positive score, meaning that if more things change than just the thing you were being treated for, that makes it more likely that it's the homeopathy that has had that effect. Oh. Oh, okay. Which, and is it changed for the positive, uh, it, or is it? It's, you know, cause, cause it says, "Were your... ultimately improved or changed?" So, in other words, if your oh, okay. if your UTI improved, but anything yeah. else happened at all, yeah, like you could suddenly it, hear out of one ear that you hadn't been able to yeah. for a long time, then that's yeah. then that's one in favor. One, or um, your point or your eyesight improved, or the dandruff disappeared. So. So basically wow. what they've done is they've made up some rules <laughs> um, and, and, and then called, called it... by the same name yeah, as something else. Called it a modified version of an with actual the... scientific test that doesn't even test for the thing they're testing for. And then no. said, look, it, we've proved homeopathy works. <laughs> and it doesn't test, and it doesn't even... The, the original Naranjo... Is it, what is it? Algorithm. A test? What's it yeah. called? Algorithm doesn't even look at the thing that the drugs are curing. Nope. It's looking at the side effects that the drugs might bring on, completely separate from the cure of it. So if you're taking to max offend to, to see off, you know, post cancerous stuff, and the tamoxifen gives you depression, then that's a side effect. Yeah. They're not actually measuring whether it deals with the post No, there's other tools for that. Treatment. There's other, there's other yeah. um, studies that they do for that to see whether a drug yeah. it has 
uh, enough efficacy to make it worth taking. Um, that's yeah. not what this algorithm then, works. Then you on. weigh that against the side effects. So, that, so what they've done is taken this scale, <laughs> like any old scale, <laughs> which is testing side effects, and they've shifted it to test the effect, if efficacy on the thing itself. Uh-huh. Then what? And then added in <laughs> other things to say, oh well, okay, my well, my post nasal drip disappeared at the same time. And yeah, the, so they haven't they haven't tried to include um, uh, placebos, for example. They haven't yeah, they haven't yeah. tried to kind of uh, take away and reintroduce the homeopathy. Yeah. That you know those tests, which theoretically should give some actual result, even if they're not, even though it's testing the wrong thing, even though it's testing for side effects than rather than efficacy, those things would at least tell you something. If you if you yeah. stop giving the person the drug or the homeopathy in this case, which doesn't have any drugs in it, and, and things then change, see what happened, and then you yeah. reintroduce yeah. it and they go back to how they were when they were taking yeah. the test. That that's helpful, then but they don't do that. This this might yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. So how do how does one go about debunking? <laughs> that stuff other than going well you know what the thing you've named it after is completely different and what you've done is modify it so it's not even that i think that's that's the difficulty is that i mean there's just it's so wrong it's it's almost not even wrong (laughs) it's just it's it's so inappropriate it would be weird to reply to that person and say that test doesn't mean what you think it means essentially um, yeah, it's not even. It's actually what they, what they would do is that they would say, "Oh, well, you see that that gives uh, credence to what we're saying. Yeah. The fact that you're <laughs> you're countering it by using the very thing that we're stealing." What? Yeah. What? So that's fun. No, um. that is fun. <laughs> it's fun and potentially dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, I keep I kept reading that, reading that, kept reading, kept reading that as the modified naranja. <laughs> criteria and like, naranja is spanish for orange yes. so it might as well be might as well might as well be a might as well be yeah it's got as, as much relation yeah. to orange as it has for yeah. scientists yeah. who came up with that so <laughs> our second example in fallacy in the wild is um creationists using uh, radiocarbon dating for dinosaur fossils how would our view of dinosaurs change if scientists found carbon-14 in their bones? Well, a group of geophysicists claim to have discovered exactly that, carbon-14 in dinosaur bones. This is indeed a shocking proposal for those who believe that the last dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago because carbon-14 decays so fast that it could not possibly survive that long. There should not be one atom of carbon-14 present in dinosaur bones if they really are as old as is usually claimed. After going to great lengths to rule out contamination, the researchers concluded that they had indeed found carbon-14 in dinosaur bone. These results seriously undermine the evolutionary story of long ages of Earth history. However, they fit nicely with biblical history, whereby dinosaurs lived only thousands of years ago, with their fossils forming from animals buried during Noah's flood. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> nice use of things in there with, with, with uh, if, as people believe, yeah. they died out 65 million years ago. And then after extensive 
um, <laughs> attempts to eradicate contamination, well, what were they? That's, yeah. Yeah. So, very, very quick explanation yeah. of radiocarbon dating. Again, if I get this wrong, please feel free to tell me. Yeah. Basically, there is there is carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Carbon uh, twelve is one of the isotopes of carbon that is found in carbon dioxide. Carbon fourteen is another, and um, they carbon twelve is by far the most common. It's like ninety nine percent of of carbon dioxide, and uh, of of carbon as a whole, in fact, and in the atmosphere. There is all this carbon dioxide. Plants are taking it in as they photosynthesize, as they respire. And herbivores eat plants, goes into the herbivores. Carnivores eat the the um, both plants often and herbivores. And so basically we all get a certain amount of carbon in us through this method as we yep. live. And the the proportion that we get is kind of known and and stays fairly stable throughout our lifetimes. However, right. once we die, we stop taking in carbon, and the carbon twelve is stable. It, it the the amount that you have doesn't change. Carbon fourteen is radioactive, and so it decays over time. It has a half life of five thousand seven hundred and thirty years. So, mm -hmm. by comparing the proportion of carbon twelve to carbon fourteen in a sample you can uh, tell yeah, how old that thing died. is. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very basically how carbon dating works. Yeah. And the fact that the half-life is only 5,730 years means that radiocarbon dating isn't great for dating very old things. The, mm. the theoretical limit using the kind of methods we have at the moment is about 50,000 years, although it starts to get a bit dicey. And, and less predictable as you get up past yeah. kind of 35,000, 40,000 years. Yeah. So trying to date dinosaur fossils, which are, according to, you know, reality, 65 million years old plus, <laughs> um, is, is yeah. not the right way to do it. No. <laughs> but the thing no. is, <laughs> what they've suggested... You wouldn't find any. Ex well, yeah. that's the thing. What they've suggested, and the, and the reason they've said that you know people claim you can't use it, is because it's so old that there wouldn't be any left. That's not actually quite right. It's not quite mm -hmm. right to say that that's why you can't use carbon fourteen dating on dinosaur fossils. the The problem is that yes, there is very little slash nothing in there. But the problem as you get past 50,000 years and thereabouts is that the background uh, radiation mm. in cosmic rays, in just contamination that is inevitable when you collect yeah. fossils, when you prepare them for testing and when you test them, dwarfs the uh, yeah. carbon-14 that you would actually find in that sample. So yeah. that's why it becomes impossible to actually use as a measure because – you you will still get carbon fourteen. You will still find it, but there's no way to say whether it came from your sample or from background kind of inherent contamination. When you're kind of digging them out, and if they're in in amongst vegetation, when you're digging them out, or you're digging them out of a tar pit, or uh, a petrified forest, then all of that's going to get you know the, there's there's layers of stuff that are sitting on top of these things which will have their own 
um, amount of carbon and that's going to be wrapped around them, leached into them, disturbed when you dig them up. Um, so it'll all be in there and it won't and it will be more than because it's that much more recent the things themselves yeah one of the methods of uh, testing for carbon 14 is with large samples is to literally test every every particle that decays and count them over a period of time and then kind of add up because you know what the rate of decay should be for for a given amount of carbon 14 or the for small samples and this is what they said they they said they used a combination of the two methods in this particular study that was being talked about on the video the second method is called ams which is accelerator mass spectroscopy which is essentially uh, a quite complex process of separating out all of the various different particles and measuring specifically and directly the the carbon 14 in that sample Mm -hmm. but to do that they have to go through a whole process of uh, cleaning the sample mechanically and chemically converting it to co2 by combustion or acid hydrolysis in some cases and then chemically reducing it to graphite and in some cases there's uh, separation of organic fractions from inorganic fractions that they need to do and and essentially each step no matter how careful they are they can introduce tiny tiny amounts of yep. modern carbon just by breathing and i would have thought well yeah. i mean they tried i suspect they try and isolate yeah. that as, <laughs> as a as an option but um, and they said, you know, these these scientists were as careful as they could to avoid contamination. Yeah. And the problem is that being as careful as you can isn't enough. Yeah. And I found a study which was called um, "Contamination of a- on AMS Sample Targets by Modern Carbon is Inevitable" mm. from February 2016 issue of Radiocarbon Journal. Yeah. And uh, it's basically saying that there there are so many points at which modern carbon can mm. Can mm. contaminate even tiny you know fractions of a microgram yep. can contaminate samples with the the kind of cosmic rays even which are just impossible to get Whoa. rid of obviously yeah. Yeah. and noise within the electronics and and the the ams device misidentifying other isotopes yep. as radiocarbon yep. and things like that 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 you simply cannot say that if you have a sample that you have detected some carbon 14 in that it came from the sample you there's just no way you can do it and with more modern samples when you look at you know thirty five thousand years ago that amount of contamination doesn't have much of an effect on how old it appears to be yeah because there is there is enough carbon 14 coming from the sample um but where there isn't any in the sample or where there's there's significantly less that tiny tiny amount of contamination has a significant mm. bigger effect so uh, with a with a, a little less science um the example number three uh, is a a, um, a bonus one is because it suddenly sprung to me actually this is the wrong tool to try and explain what poor old nigel tufnell was trying to explain in uh, spinal tap this is the bit with the the famous amplifiers to uh, you know what we use on stage, but it's very, very special because if you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to eleven. Look, right across the board, oh. eleven, oh, eleven, and most of eleven, and then amps go up to ten. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. You see, most most blokes, you know, be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? 
I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. This <laughs> is crazy. Yeah. Isn't it? It's it's one louder. It's one louder, yeah. isn't it? So it's so it's louder. <laughs> is that is that with the implication? This is it's more special because it's because it goes up to eleven. It kind of glosses up. There's all sorts of wrong going on in there because <laughs> only one of the knobs on an amp, if, if you've ever seen an amplifier, is <laughs> loudness. Everything else is like there's treble, bass. There might be presence. There might be a bit of reverb and stuff. You put them all up to eleven. It's you know <laughs> it's kind of there's the implication that it makes it is somehow better, but it kind of it it doesn't even say well yeah it makes it louder because because the guy reads quite yeah. reasonably says why don't you just increase the he's what he's saying is just increase the power of the amp so that when you get to ten it's a lot louder and then he just goes yeah. that, that lovely silence he just goes these go up to eleven <laughs> go to eleven. Yeah. Where do you yeah. go from there? So yeah, it is the 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 arbitrary numbers on an amp are the wrong tool yeah. for measuring how loud it yeah. is because amps are not necessarily comparable, different powers and and so on. So yeah, um, what you need is something like a decibel meter to test the loudness of something rather than a um, a, a non-standardized um, number that isn't the same. But they do look great. I mean, they got you know, and and actually, they if, yeah, they got if you just yeah. if you just got some Letraset, like proper old school Letraset, <laughs> and put an eleven on it, that would just simply make it better. So we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news. The game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real, and one I made up. And Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. See, if only we'd actually used the right tool to measure this, and if we'd measured the number of vowels that I'd use in my explanations <laughs> of why I've chosen the one that I've chosen, then I would be winning all along. You see, we're using yeah. the wrong measurement system for 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 scoring this, and that's why I'm losing. Okay, so well, you are losing. Yes, it is currently <laughs> sixteen out of forty-three yeah. is your current score. Yeah, but you know, there's always that possibility that this might be your week. So, okay, um, the, the, theme, <laughs> right. the theme this week. We're we're back to that that kind of gift that just keeps on yeah. giving the Milwaukee r- rally from a few weeks Yay. ago, uh, a couple of months ago now, yep. actually, because there was <laughs> there was more. Right. Oh God, it was amazing. It was so rambling. Um. So yeah, statement number one. These people, they're horrible people and they don't get in trouble. If I did half of what McCabe and Comey did, they'd impeach me again. Maybe we should impeach them. Maybe it's time we impeached Hillary. I'm kidding. Maybe I'm not. Those people in the back, the fake news media, they're so corrupt and so stupid they can't tell when I'm kidding. I'll say something like I'm going to be president for 12 more years and they think I'm serious. Well, maybe I am about that one. Okay. Statement number two. You know, with the wall, we're building a wall. You know that, right? And by the way, they think they caught me and they'd never catch us because, you know, Mexico's paying for the wall. You know that. You see that. It's all worked out. Mexico spent. It's driving them crazy. Now they say, OK, he's building the wall, but Mexico didn't pay. Mexico will pay. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You'll see that it'll come out. We'll do it sometime during the debate or maybe before our debate, the real debate that people are going to watch. 
Okay. And yeah. Right. A lot of lot of words said. Nothing, nothing actually. actually said. No um, meaning at all. Yeah. It's the wrong tool for measuring meaning. Statement, yeah. <laughs> statement number three. If you love your children and you have a farm or a small business or a small ranch or even a large ranch, you have no estate tax. You'd give it to the kids if you don't love your children. Anybody in here doesn't love their children? There are some. Don't. Come on, raise your hand. There are some. Like, you know, they're brats. They're little brats. They're horrible human beings. So if you're one of them, this doesn't help you because you'll save some time. (laughs) How did he go from estate tax to time? (laughs) Uh, Okay. He's dealing in time now. See, but that's another, it is another second rate stand up comic stuff, isn't it? From the 50s. It's that kind of, uh, you give it, if you don't love your kids, anybody here doesn't love the kids? There are some. Come on, raise your hand. There are some, like, you know, they're brats. They're little brats. They're horrible little human yeah. beings. And you're one of them. Where are you from? Hey, that's my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where are you from? Yeah. You got any kids? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Well, I, I think the I think the middle one, uh, either that's a tour de force on your part writing that, or that's kind. He's just on autopilot. It's just like his mouth is on, but there's nothing. This isn't that machine that that generated Trumps again, is it? Because <laughs> um, that, that's a perfect example. And it goes from Mexico's paying for the wall. Mexico will pay, and we'll get that during debate or maybe before our debate. It can't—it's just—it can't make a decision, can it? There are three people inside his head arguing. Okay, you know the war with them. You know they're right. By the way, they think they can't be another goddess. It's like a Nirvana song. It goes. Okay, so I think number two is real. Horrible. They don't care. Half what Caven did. I'm kidding, maybe I'm not. These people are that. Sid Caesar and Billy Crystal had an orange love child. Um, Well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I will. Okay, the 12. Okay. I, I think the... Brats one is kind of real. Okay, I'm plumping for number one, I think is the one that you made up. Okay, so which of the other two are you more confident number, about? Number two. About number two. Number two. Yeah. I can hear okay. him doing it because it's just right. Uh, number yeah. two it is, is real. You know, with the wall, we're building the wall. You know that, right? Uh, yeah, I forgot oh, the crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, they think they caught me, and they never catch us. Because, you know, Mexico's paying for the wall. You know that. You'll see that. It's all worked out. Mexico's paying. It's driving them crazy. Now they say, okay, he's building the wall. But Mexico didn't pay. Mexico will pay. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. You'll see that. It'll come out. We'll do it sometime during the debate or maybe before our debate, the real debate, that people are going to watch. He doesn't 
go on to elaborate no. on how Mexico will play no. or anything like that. He then moves on to something completely yeah. different. So. Yeah. <clears throat> he's had the he's just done the thing. We go, yeah, we're building the wall, yeah, and they go, yeah, and then he goes, <laughs> they they never catch me, and then and then he turns it on to the crowd. They'll never catch us. So he constantly yeah. gets the crowd to identify with him or identifies with the crowd during the debate, maybe our debate, the real debate that people are going to watch. Well, which, which is the other debate then? The one that they're not going to watch? The, the democratic debates, yeah. presumably. But... <laughs> yeah, that nobody's going to watch. Yeah, not the real ones where we lie all the time. We're going to have the other ones where they do that horrible thing with facts and experts that nobody's interested in. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. So horrifyingly, that was real. So, so that one was real. Yeah. Okay. So um, you also think number three it's, it's is real? real. Yeah, because of the the little brats one. Yeah. And yeah. number three yeah. is real. If you love your children and you have a farm or a small business, or a small ranch, or even a large ranch. You have no estate tax. You can give it to the kids. If you don't love your children, anybody in here does not love their children? There are some. Don't. Come on, raise your hand. There are some. Like, you know, they're brats. They're little brats. They're horrible human beings. So if you're one of them, this doesn't help you because you'll save some tax. What? What? So... I mean, to be fair to Trump, his children are yeah, horrible, horrible human, human beings. beings. Yeah, yeah. So, they are. Yeah. So, yeah. He, you know, he's kind of trying to do that, um, universalizing his own experience to the rest of the world. Uh -huh. And the rest of the world just looking at each other going, no, my, my, yeah, my, my <laughs> kids are nice. Yeah, no, of course we yeah. love our children. What are you crazy? Yeah, not like, the, not like those, <laughs> those Trump kids. Jesus, they're awful. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then that whole thing, and the, what is the conclusion? What is he talking about there? So he's basically saying there's no estate tax. So when you pass it on, there's no inheritance. You don't pay anything. So if, and he's just, and then he gets trapped because he's going, yeah, you love your kids. You can hand them on. And then he just goes down the alley. Well, what is the other option? If you don't love your kids? No, nobody doesn't love their kids except <laughs> you. And that, and you, you don't yeah. pay any tax whatsoever. So that's, that's fine. And then he doesn't resolve it because he just says, this doesn't help you because you'll save some time. No. Yeah. I think you'll have to pay he, some tax. His brain, to the extent that it's there, had moved on <laughs> to the next thing he was going to say before he managed to finish that one. <laughs> so he forgot he was talking about estate taxes yeah. or anything it, like money or anything like that. <laughs> He was just, he'd already started the next thing. <laughs> I think giving his brain too much credence there. I think his brain yeah, left probably. a long time ago. He's probably just, you know, the, the, next, the next hamburger. Oh, Jesus Christ. All of which oh. means that hey. you have won Alrighty. next week. So uh, you are now on 17 out of 44, which I think is about 38%-ish, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so. Congratulations! Oh, thanks so very that much. yes, the the that was all just completely made all up. Right. <laughs> impeaching. Well, it could him again. You could almost do and... it by yeah, yeah, and the the twelve more years and and the fake news. You could all well, it's just so nearly is the <laughs> thing that you know. If it wasn't for the the stand up comic nonsense, I, I would could have easily have gone that. In fact, I think we should just cut him up and make him say that. 
and nobody <laughs> would know any any different. They'd just go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I was there when that happened. He did He did recently suggest impeaching Obama. Right. Um, and, or... and it wasn't 100% clear that he was joking. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I forget exactly what it was for. Yeah. Just, you know. Just for being, being nicer Obama, than he, he is. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called The Coronavirus is Not a Logical Fallacy. Because, uh, basically, it's the end of the world. Yeah. So we should probably talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and um yeah trump kind of is is seems more concerned about um the economy mm. which has taken a massive hit yeah. thanks to the coronavirus yeah. um and uh he did a press conference last wednesday which i presume was supposed to reassure people <laughs> right and according to the Dow Jones at least certainly did not have that effect <laughs> uh yeah and also the fact that 38 percent of of Americans will uh, have said they won't drink corona beer yeah because of the oh, coronavirus I love, that. I love that which is a a large number I yeah. mean I wonder if it's the I mean it is let's face it it's the same 38 percent who would Trump. still vote yeah, for Trump. yeah 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 um and they, they and, and then they reported something like a 136 billion dollar loss or something as a result of yeah of stupidity like up until then they've been gladly drinking it not knowing that it contained this virus and and now they're not drinking it because they're sure that it contains a virus what the hell yeah because in so because in England, all of the uh, uh, kids, people who were kids in the seventies, we all used to drink orangeade and lemonade made by Corona. <laughs> so we'd have these yeah. big, um, you know, tall glass bottles. So I'm actually immune because I've drunk so much Corona as a kid. <laughs> That's it. It's like it's like having the smallpox vaccine. By just rubbing yourself up against cow's udders, I've been doing the equivalent with lemonade for all of my childhood. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the background to the current crisis yep. uh, essentially is in in May of 2018, Trump got rid of uh, Rear Admiral Tim Zima, who was serving on the National Security Council as the Director of Global Health Security. Mm -hmm. So, his job in that position was basically to coordinate responses to global health emergencies and, and potential pandemics. Yep. And he was apparently very good at that. He worked on uh, a malaria outbreak during the Obama administration and is credited with saving millions of lives in that position. And um, Trump did not replace Tim Zima with anyone. He got rid of that position. Uh, right. So he, right. he, he stopped there being a person who is in charge of coordinating responses to pen, to potential pandemics. Um, and the um, National Security Council Director for Medical and Biodefense Preparedness, uh, Dr. Luciana Borio, she left the same month as uh, Tim Zima was, was um, let go, essentially, yeah. and she was not replaced either. So there was there's basically for the last two years almost yeah there's been no one in charge of preparing for potential 
major global health problems. And now it's suddenly quite important that there yeah. is someone doing that uh, because there's a major global health mm. problem. Um, well, and we've had so, we've had so, another outbreak of Ebola since the the, yeah. the one that happened during Obama's presidency. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but you know that wasn't enough to no. warrant actually uh, employing someone to do that. Um, and and so rather than decide that actually that position was quite important and hire someone new, like maybe I don't know a scientist or someone who knows anything at all about health yeah. or medicine. Yeah in any way um trump appointed mike pence yeah to lead the task force to to control coronavirus in the u.s that that well-known medical expert who yeah who who didn't didn't he recommend prayers and thoughts and prayers for during hiv in the yeah leading leading to a significant hiv outbreak in in indiana yeah uh, his state um, yes, he also, as recently as uh, the two thousands, um, claimed that there's no evidence that smoking causes oh, cancer. Well, yeah, yeah. But apart from all the evidence, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and and uh, again, uh, whereas they, it wouldn't be so awful if Trump appointed Pence in charge and then Pence employed or or got some some medical professionals or some experts involved yeah. the people that that pence has has brought onto the task force are people like steve mnuchin and larry kudlow which kind of suggests they are really really focused on the economic fallout yeah. rather than the people dying fallout yeah. um and yeah so they spent he spent most of the the press conference essentially telling people there was nothing to worry about yeah, and that there was only 15 um, cases in the US and uh, those people were rapidly getting better. There'd be zero cases in a few days and it was all going to be fine and there weren't going to be any uh, major outbreaks. And and also, as soon as the weather starts to get warmer in in April, because, yeah. you know, classically very warm April, yeah. Um, yeah. it's all going to go away anyway. Okay. It, miraculously. Because right. warm weather, everyone knows, you know, coronavirus, yeah. it's it's completely killed by, by, warm weather. by yeah. the warmth by, of April. By, <laughs> by spring flowers, bluebells. Yeah. As as bluebells come the out. fact that there are cases in Australia yeah. hasn't, raging hasn't heat seemed of Australia. to have any effect. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that's based on completely nothing. No. There's no evidence well, whatsoever like, that any. And plus, there's like more than fifteen helps. cases, aren't there? There's six. six yeah, the I mean, old that wasn't something. counting the forty-three cases that were on the Diamond Princess. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that that yeah. was kind of quarantined. Or yeah. and yeah, there's there's now eighty-seven oh, cases. God. I think eighty-eight yeah. possibly today in the US. Um, and that's and the thing is, that's confirmed cases, mm. and and it's been very very difficult in the us to confirm cases because hardly anywhere has tests for it right because the the tests that were originally sent out by the cdc of which hardly any were sent out had a faulty reagent mm. meaning that they were essentially worthless right. and most medical centers simply don't have a way of testing it that's assuming people are going to go to the trouble and expense of getting mm. tested yep. one of the things that has been cited as a benefit you know, a great thing about the coronavirus is that, generally speaking, for most people, 
the symptoms are very very kind of minimal mm. they are a lot of some people are asymptomatic completely and and some people it's basically like a a kind of mild flu-like illness yeah. that kind of means that for most people they're not even going to bother going to the doctor yeah yeah so um, you've dead. got uh, yeah. yeah and so you've got a lot of people who are potentially walking around with uh with coronavirus or or even asymptomatic and passing it on to other mm. people because mm. it it kind of incubates for somewhere between 10 and 14 days possibly and they're walking around and they don't even know they've got it and they you know other people don't know they've got it and they're going to trump rallies yeah, yeah. and being in a room with thousands of other people and uh th essentially what this all means is nobody knows how many people in the u.s actually have it at the moment and that's kind of um, that's sort of trump's standpoint isn't it that he that he kind of is the reassuring uncle when when what nobody knows means for for him and his uh when he's talking about it is that nobody really knows it's not as bad as everyone says it is yeah. nobody really knows i do you'll be fine just listen to me you haven't got to worry about it when actually what the terrifying thing is nobody knows because there's nobody in charge of this stuff and the guy that is in charge of it is not worried about the health aspect. He's more worried about how this is going to affect the Dow Jones and the yeah. voting population. I did see did see a meme last week on Facebook where somebody said, I've not got coronavirus and I've never been to a Trump rally, but if I get the first, I'm sure as hell going to do the <laughs> second. Yeah. So... Yeah. so the other scary thing is that um, rather than allowing people who do know what they're talking about to mm. actually do the messaging, they did. They have. We have heard from people at the CDC who who do not say the same thing as Trump, who says that um, there won't. You know, there's no reason to assume that there will be spreads. And the CDC has said yes, spreading is inevitable. Mm, yeah. There will be community outbreaks. We also have uh, people like Anthony Fauci, the director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases who, before the press conference, before Pence was appointed coronavirus czar, well, yeah. um, Fauci was um, scheduled to appear on all the Sunday shows, basically, to talk about yeah. it and what was going on and what the, the, the plan was. And he has he was ordered to cancel his appearances, and Pence went on the Sunday shows instead so that he could talk about what they were doing and claimed when the question came up about whether people were being tested. He said that um, 47,000 people had been tested and screened at airports coming into the US. Um, tested and screened. The, screened is doing a lot of work in that sentence mm, mm. because those people have not been tested at all. Yeah. Those 47,000 people were asked questions about where they've been yeah. and if they've had a bit of a cough. Yeah, yeah how are you um, feeling? It, yeah. You know, they, they, that was the screening yeah. was was, do you reckon you have coronavirus? Um, yeah. And then they were let in. Yeah. In evacuating people from the Wuhan province, Americans, the CDC said that they should not go and get the people and bring them back on a plane with people mm -hmm. who were not infected. Yep. And the Trump administration went, yeah, be all right. Fine. And went and did that. And according to a whistleblower, um, they did that without any particular kind of protective gear. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or letting other people know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they're not they're not even taking really the kind of most basic no. precautions to avoid things 
causing a problem. No. And now there have been a couple of cases, at least in the US, where people have been infected who haven't traveled and don't know anyone who's traveled. Yeah. They appear to have, have have caught it from their community. And there've been there's been at least one death in Washington State. And um, as I say, no nobody currently knows how many people are infected with it. It's not we're not, we're not trying to scaremonger here. I should say <laughs> it it is just because nobody knows doesn't mean it's a lot of people. Yeah, it, it's certainly more people than we know about. There's yeah. there's certainly more than just the eighty seven confirmed cases who are infected. And as those testing kits do start going out properly to more medical centres, the the number of people that are confirmed as um, people who have it will increase and that doesn't mean it's spreading it means that we are yeah just measuring um, getting a better of them. Yes, sense exactly. of yeah. how many people there are yeah. um you know the us is still a huge country it's 320 million people it's it's likely still extremely unlikely that anyone you come across has it yeah in in the uk i believe we've got something like 40 confirmed cases among 65 million people it's 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 still rare the the Trouble is, we'd like to keep it mm. that way, and the best way to do that is to listen to the experts yep. and not listen to politicians who've been lying to you about just about everything for the last yeah. three years, and then assume that that this time they're telling yeah. the truth. And that's the that's the worrying thing, isn't it? That the the kind of um, reaction to it that's coming out of China and that has been condemned by everybody else about China's approach is to hush the whole thing up a bit like when uh, Chernobyl went down in Russia the first thing was to hush it all up and say everything's fine it's all fine nothing to worry about meanwhile you know a huge cloud of radioactive dust is going across the world and people are dying in the in the vicinity and it it's just that whole that's why at the head of the head of the episode we got the he is the mayor from jaws and he's you know the great mm. bit in the in the guardian article that says that describes him he's the first instinct of the manhattan host hustler hotelier is loudly assuring the guests that the strong smell of burning coming from the ground floor is merely the chef trying out a new barbecue rather than a sign <laughs> the building's on fire. And crucial to that effort is talking loudly over the fire marshals or even gagging them altogether. So it's that. So the the frightening bit is that the so-called democratic Western governments, and I include our own in the UK as well as the US's, are. A, adopting Chinese totalitarian, Russian totalitarian um, state behavior and denying it rather than just being um, transparent and turning to the experts and the World Health Organization and, you know, not saying, oh, well, it's being weaponized to prevent me getting elected again or to detrimentally affect the stock market so that my grip on the economy is seen to be worse than it is. And it's just, it all just comes down to Trump being, you know, the ignorant fool that the ignorant, egotistical fool that he is. And whilst that was kind of funny when it started, it now could lead to the deaths of thousands of people in yeah. the US. So yeah. now it's kind of dangerous. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. 
Johnny McEntee, the former Trump body man who was fired because his gambling habit meant he couldn't get a security clearance, has hit the ground running now that he's back at the White House as head of personnel. Within days of starting the job, for which his only qualifications are loyalty to the president and sketchy ethics, he called an introductory meeting with the White House liaisons for all the cabinet agencies. Top of the agenda was making a list of all the personnel within said agencies who might not like Trump. McEntee's stated purpose for this, according to three people who were in the meeting, is to target those people and ensure they don't get promotions by shifting them around in different agencies. Many former presidents specifically decided to appoint political rivals to major cabinet posts, but in Trump's administration, nothing but abject fealty is acceptable. The former physician to the Donald, Ronnie Jackson, who said he received the Trump stamp of approval after his 2018 press conference in which he said Trump had incredible genes, performed exceedingly well on a cognitive test and asserted that if the president had had a better diet, he could have lived to 200 years old. Regrets leaving before he was able to implement that better dietary regime. He's the only one who does regret that. Insights into the regime planned included making ice cream less accessible, maybe a short walk away, behind a heavy freezer door perhaps, and putting cauliflower into the mashed potatoes. He stopped short of saying whether he personally made aeroplane noises whilst flying a fork full of carrots towards the orange presidential face hole, but does talk about transporting an exercise bicycle into the White House in order to have the president lose 10 to 15 pounds. Our suggestions here at Fallacious Towers to achieve that weight loss are to cut down on the poundage of hair and denture fixative, as well as the burdensome load of mush between his ears by simply removing his head altogether. Sadly, Ronnie's allegations of professional misconduct, which means he has had to step down from the nominations of four Veterans Affairs Secretary, don't actually extend to decapitations. Orange presidential face hole. I think I've got a, an opening to next episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> a federal judge has ruled that acting director of US Citizenship and Immigration Services, Ken Cuccinelli, is not in fact the acting director of US Citizenship and Immigration Services. Mm -hmm. Let's back up a moment and listen carefully. When the former director, Lee Cessner, resigned in June, he was automatically replaced by his deputy director, Mark Cummins, because that's what the Federal Vacancies Reform Act says happens. Nine days later, Acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan made up an entirely new job and appointed Ken Cuccinelli, Principal Deputy Director of USCIS. On the same day, McAleenan rewrote the rules of succession so that Cuccinelli became Cessner's replacement. And this week, a federal judge said, no, that's not how any of this works, and declared that any policies put in place by Cuccinelli are now void, which is good, because those policies were mostly designed to fuck over asylum seekers. <sighs> you know the nice president the US used to have? The one that could foresee unscrupulous wrongdoing being meted out by the opposition in order to gain money and power? Yeah, him. Well, in 2010, President Barack Obama signed into law a very specific act called the Prevent Deceptive Census Lookalike Mailings Act, which in the UK would prompt us to quote an advert for Ron Seal Wood Varnish and say it does exactly what it says on the tin. However, the RNC seems to think that's all a bit generic and can't possibly apply to them sending out documents that say 2020 Congressional District Census, commissioned by the Republican Party, do not destroy, and then go on to ask normal, apolitical, household-measuring, censusy type questions like, do you think Nancy Pelosi and the Democrat-controlled House are 
holding President Trump's agenda hostage and putting their political interests ahead of the good of our country. Odd enough in itself, but odder still is the lack of mainstream media coverage of this. It took, of all people, Fox News contributor and former Republican congressman Jason Chaffetz to publish a link to the only national TV coverage of it by MSNBC, tweeting, The RNC's census forms are not actual census forms. I was upset about this previously and I'm still concerned. This is deceptive and it's not right. So we'll do our bit. Check for the RNC meddling illegally in census gathering. Do not send them money. It's a devious lie to prevent people voting Democrat. Where's Bob Woodward when you need him? Trump loves suing people almost as much as Devin Nunes. Well, actually, Trump loves threatening to sue people because he finds that if he actually sues them, he has an irritating tendency to lose. Which makes it all the more surprising that the Trump campaign has sued the New York Times for libel for an opinion piece about Trump's ties to Russia during the 2016 campaign. Yes, you heard that right. They're suing not about a news story involving disputable facts, but about an op-ed in which someone expressed an opinion they didn't like. And they're claiming millions of dollars in damages. No specific amount, just millions, like Dr. (laughs) Evil wrote the lawsuit. It seems that between someone having the idea to sue and the lawsuit being filed with the New York State Supreme Court in Manhattan, nobody pointed out to the Trump campaign that the discovery phase of this lawsuit would involve them producing evidence of any communication they had with the Russians. (laughs) I don't think this one will make it to a courtroom. In a similar vein... The statement, I quote, was so inappropriate it's almost trying to take the people who feel a different way and get them to vote the way that they'd like them to vote. I thought it was so inappropriate, such a terrible statement. No, not about Trump, nor a moment of self-awareness by Trump, but Trump saying it about Sonia Sotomayor and demanding that she and RBG recuse themselves from all Trump-related matters which is difficult because, as Sotomayor says, the Trump administration immediately runs to the Supreme Court when the lower courts don't rule their way. So the Supreme Court appears to be filled with nothing but Trump-related matters. Trump's running out of investigators to complain about and previously stayed away pretty much from attacking the Supreme Court, which has repeatedly sided with his administration on controversial issues. But Trump's attacks on an Obama judge who ruled against his administration's asylum policy earned a rebuke from Chief Justice John Roberts. We do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges, he said in the statement. What we have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to do equal right to those appearing before them. That independent judiciary is something we should all be thankful for. Let's hope Rodney Jackson's advising RBG on her diet. We need, need, need her to outlive every single Republican in existence for the sake of truth, justice and uh, the American way. The deal maker strikes again, this time securing peace in Afghanistan. Wait, that's a good thing, right? Well, yes, if the Trump administration's negotiation skills were up to the job. All the US has to do is withdraw their troops from the area, leave the Taliban in charge of the areas they currently occupy, lift sanctions and release 5,000 Taliban fighters currently held prisoner in exchange for 1,000 Afghan security force prisoners currently held by the Taliban. Then the plan is that the Taliban will essentially protect local forces and the US from other terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda. Sounds like a pretty terrible one-sided deal that might nevertheless signal the beginning of the end of a long, drawn-out war. Of course, 
It might have helped if the US checked with Afghanistan, who have said today that there's no way they're releasing 5,000 Taliban prisoners, which was apparently a deal-breaker for the good old Taliban, who've gone back to attacking local Afghan forces. Send Kushner in. Obviously, the peace deal just didn't have enough pages and a map. <laughs> and in Britpole news... Perma smirk wearing Home Secretary Pretty Patel is introducing immigration rules that wouldn't have let her own Tory voting party funding parents in and is being sued for bullying and constructive dismissal by Home Office Chief Sir Philip Rutnam. To counter this, Boz's press office released news that he's expecting a child with his girlfriend to whom he's just become engaged. Nice try, Boris. Won't wash with us. Speaking of which, that's his advice to combat coronavirus. Having disinvited the Labour and Remainer Mayor of London from the emergency meeting about coronavirus. And today we also heard that the Tory government tried to block the appointment of Mary Beard, her again, as a trustee to the British Museum for her pro-Europe and, let's face it, learned and informed long views, grip of history and how it doesn't particularly favour fat, blonde, public school educated, self-important, ignorant, entitled, arse-faced Latin manglers. Hashtag Where's Boris and hashtag Johnson Fiddles whilst Rome floods are also trending. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com. And if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. Do you think we've used a fallacy ourselves? Let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallaciousTrump. All music is by the outburst and was viewed with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump. We'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.